Hey, this is JJ Matat. I'm the worship pastor at Jubilee, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope it ministers to your heart and allows God to speak right to you. If you would like to know more about our church, visit jfc.org. Enjoy the message. Hey, welcome this morning. If you haven't um, gone online, if you go to our app, you can find the notes for what we're teaching in our series. And if you like to take notes, we think you should because writing it down does help you remember it. Uh, I, I remember I had a professor told me a long time ago, the weakest ink is better than the strongest memory. And uh, it is true that after a certain length of time, it does help you to recall things. So I would encourage you to do that. But if you learn best by just listening, that's great too. Um, there are three fill in the blanks and that's why um, I would encourage you to do it. Uh, our series is called The Parables and Teachings of Jesus. And we're just taking our time and kind of going through uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, not one after the other, we're kind of bouncing back and forth, but we're just teaching through the parables and the teaching. Last weekend, uh, Pastor Jonathan Wiggins from Res Church up in Loveland, Fort Collins taught and did a great job for us. Yep, love that guy. One of our favorite teachers to have and, and we really enjoy him. And I know uh, he, he had told me, expressed to me uh, how much he likes to, to come here. Um, just, it, he feels as though um, he's like at, at, at home is how he described it, that he's just so welcomed here. And I wanted to say thank you for doing that. Yeah, that's, it's a spirit that a church either has or it doesn't have, right? You can't manufacture something like that. It's either there or it's not. And I just wanna say thank you for the warmth that, uh, that you show to, to people like that and to each other. So the parables of Jesus. Uh, this week, I'm doing the pearl of great price. How many are familiar with that parable? Let me see. There's a few of you that are. If you're, if you're not, that's, uh, you're in the right place, right? We'll, we'll do this today. And uh, I think that there's a lot of good things in this. Uh, Matthew chapter 13 is where we're going to launch into this. Now, um, I've, I, so in, uh, in this, in, 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 I think it's three verses right here, maybe four verses. I'll read it. Um, it's got actually two parables back to back and they're both describing what the kingdom of heaven is like. So Jesus has been teaching on it and, and what Jesus does for a couple of different reasons. One stories stick, um, long after we teach like theology, theology is not always what people remember, but people remember stories. We, God, I think he just created us that way. And so if you take a story and then tie it around theology, it helps people to remember. It helps them to understand. So Jesus being the master teacher that he was would always generally use some type of illustration. When he would use a parable, it was to illustrate uh, maybe a deeper truth so that people could understand it and they could take it in. And then he also used parables in order to hide what he was teaching at times from people who would have used it uh, in order to stop him. So you had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees who were, they were against Jesus. He was a threat to their power. And so at times Jesus would use a parable in order to hide a deeper truth from people who didn't have spiritual eyes. Does that make sense? And so they, some people would look at it and go, what is he talking about? While other people who had eyes to see would be like, that's, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. This is one of those parables where you need spiritual eyes. And so I, I just wanna say like right off the bat, um, I can only take you so far with what we're going to do today. I think that teaching can bring us to a point, but the Holy Spirit is the one who has to illustrate it. He's the one that has to, to, to bring it home. So my prayer and what I'd kinda like you to do right now, open your heart and be, be asking the Holy Spirit help this to, to penetrate in my, help me to understand this. Just help me to understand this. So uh, Matthew 13, I'm going to add, uh, last night I only read, because it's two parables, I only used the second one, but because they both illustrate um, the same point, I'm gonna read both of them to you this morning. So it, Matthew 13, um, starting in 44, and it reads this way. Uh, you won't see it in your notes because I'm adding the first one. You'll pick it up at the second. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. And in his excitement, he hid it again and then sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. I, I like that because this guy, uh, it, it's, he, what, he, what he's done is not dishonest, but what he did was very shrewd. 
in that he found it and didn't leave it sitting there for someone else to come and take. He realized the value of it, so he hid it until he could get everything sold to buy it. What does that tell us right off the bat? That the kingdom of God, the real kingdom of God, not the fake one, not the phony one, not the religious one, but the real kingdom of God, when you discover it, it's worth giving up everything else in order to get this thing in your life. That, that's what it is. And this is the truth that Jesus is trying to illustrate. Now, the second one is right on the heels of it, and that's the one that you can follow along with me. Uh, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. So both of them describe uh, people who were seeking, who then find uh, in one it's a treasure. Uh, they're both a treasure. Uh, in this one, it's used the idea of a pearl. In the other one, it's some kind of a treasure, maybe gold, maybe diamonds. Who knows what it is? But both of them, when they recognize the value of it, they give up everything else in order to get this thing in their life. And so he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. I think these three things sort of bring um, these two illustrations together real quickly. These, these three things are necessary to understand the parable. The first one is both of these people are seeking. They're seeking. Look, we, we are always supposed to be seeking. Jesus said, seek and you will find. Knock and it'll be open to you. We're always to be seeking. We never outgrow seeking. We never get to a point where we've, we've come so far, we've learned so much, we, we've taken on so much that seeking now is beyond us. We are always supposed to be seekers. So when you look at like the wise men, we're coming into Christmas and the, the story of the wise men will be retold again. And I heard a guy, it, it, it's sort of a cliche, but it's true. Wise men still seek him. They still seek after Jesus. So just because you come to understand who Jesus is and you're like, yes, I have a relationship with God, we're never beyond the place of seeking. Those who get it are always seeking. The second thing that kind of ties these two things together is that both of them, when they saw it, they recognized it. Now, here, here's a funny question. Why is it that some people can look at it can see the value of the kingdom of heaven. They give up everything and they grab that thing and other people can look at it and it doesn't do anything. They can pass by and it's like, so what? Good for you. Why is it that some people can see it and some people can't see it? Why is that? And I think that that has to do with what the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see. First of all, if you're not seeking, generally you don't find anything. But when you are seeking and God shows it to you, there has to be an ability on your part to recognize it. And then the last thing that ties the two together is both of them had some kind of action. Once, once they saw it, they did something about it. Listen, that, that's the qualifier to having the kingdom of God in your life. Once you see it, you have to make a decision. This story is anything but casual. This story is anything but just like, yeah, these people saw it and sold and gave up everything they had to get it in their life. That's a powerful thought right there. So here's, here's the fill in the blanks real quick. The first one is just, let's talk about the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is actually talking about the kingdom of heaven, relating both parables to the kingdom of heaven. And in both parables, he uses the idea that once, once they find the treasure, they sell, they, they do whatever it takes to get this in their life. So here's my question. Let's think about this for a minute. What is so great about God's kingdom that you'll give up everything else to get it in your life? Eternity? That's, that's, Steve, that's a, good, that's a good reason, but what... What, why is it, what's so great about it? Jesus? I mean, that's, that's always the right answer. Like if you ever doubt, like, you know, you get asked a question in church, just say Jesus. It's always the, like the safe, right? Jesus. And I'm teasing. I know that that's, I, I, your heart is sincere and right about that. It's Jesus. He is, Jesus is the pearl of great price. He is the treasure. It is about Jesus, but the kingdom of God, uh, in, in the book of Romans, the kingdom of God is detailed this way. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So when you find righteousness, peace, and joy, real righteousness, peace, and joy, not temporary, not, 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 not hype, but the real thing, it's worth giving up everything else to get that thing in your life. So what is so great about God's kingdom that it's worth trading everything else for this thing? What is it? 
I, I would dare say that probably, probably everybody in here, maybe not, but the majority of people in here have obviously discovered the kingdom of God. And that's one of the reasons that you're here this morning. You get it. You want to learn more. You want to grow in that. You want to pursue. You want to be with other people who think that way and want to magnify Jesus. But if you had to put it in, so I, like with my staff, I just asked them, so tell me what's so great about God's kingdom that it's worth trading everything. You have 30 seconds to answer. It's funny how pastors are like, uh, um, well, Jesus. Uh, so <laughs> I asked Amy this morning and Amy said, you know, the other answers were good, dad. You don't need to look any further. So, <laughs> Matthew chapter six, the disciples come to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. They could have said, Lord, teach us to do miracles. They could have said, teach us to raise the dead. Teach us to heal the sick, to open blind eyes, deaf ears. Teach us how to defeat the enemy. But they ask him, teach us to pray. There must have been something in the way that Jesus prayed and the power that was with it that caused them to realize that you want to heal people, learn how to pray. Want the dead to come back to learn how to pray. So of all the things that they could have asked Jesus to teach them, they say, teach us to pray. And I, it just has to be that when Jesus prayed, I guess things happened. Agree? And so they saw that and they're like, teach us to pray. And then we have the Lord's prayer and it's become, you know, even if you're not a believer, we know it. Um, our father. Wait, wait, slow, slow. Thy. So Jesus has asked, teach us to pray. And it's a model. So I grew up a Catholic kid and what they taught was the memorization of the actual prayer. And when you would go to confession, part of the assignment after confession for contrition was to use a rosary that represented certain prayers. And you would be told to say that prayer a certain number of times. And what it would turn into was that you would say it as fast as you can in order to get on with your day. So I literally learned to say the Our Father within seconds. Our Father, our heaven, will be the kingdom of God. Not, not paying attention. Any, so the power of the prayer is not in the rote memorization of the prayer. The power in the prayer is understanding the model that Jesus gave us. And so the first and the beginning part of the model is our Father who is in heaven over everything. You're awesome. You're glorious. It's all about you. Your kingdom come. What is it about God's kingdom that when Jesus is asked, teach us to pray, he makes it the very first thing that he wants us to understand. How awesome is God's kingdom? What, what, what is it that we don't understand about how, how awesome his kingdom is that we let other things compete for our affection, our time, our heart, uh, uh, our, our life? Why, why are we so divided when God's telling us this kingdom is the pearl of great price? Discover it and it will satisfy you more than anything else ever will. Discover it and it's worth trading all the money you have, all the hope that you have. Find this thing and get it in your life. And it's the thing that you've been waiting for forever. Yeah. One of my pastors said that the kingdom of God is probably the clearest understanding that we have of how God actually created things to be. When Adam and Eve were put on this earth, here, here's the kingdom of God come to earth. And God puts them in this environment where they have this perfect relationship with him. And then the human condition is that we tend to take the pearl of great price and trade it for other things. So then in the very last book of the Bible, that's Genesis, the last book is Revelation, and Jesus writes a letter to his churches, and one of the things that he tells his churches is that you've lost your first love, your pearl of great price. You need to repent and get back to your first love, your pearl of great price. Is it possible then to have found it at one time in your life, given everything for it, but drift later on? So that now, yeah, you have a place for the pearl of great price, but you also have a place for the stuff of the world. And then here's the problem, you can't have both. 
And then we have believers who are so just like, where's the power? Where's the joy? Where's the righteousness and peace and joy, pastor, that you talked about? Give everything and get this thing. Do you hear what I'm saying? What's so great about the kingdom of God that it's worth giving up everything else for? Uh, I was going through thinking about, are there examples in the Bible of people who we can look at who got it? Like, like so what, what is this? What happens in a person's life when the kingdom of God, when they find Jesus and it changes everything? So by the way, maybe I'll just say that right now. Every one of us, if you're a follower of Christ, every one of us, we don't have the same story, but the one common denominator is we should all be able to point to a place and a time where we found the pearl of great price and we gave up everything to get it in our lives. Every one of us, even if you were never, we always think in terms of someone whose testimony was, I, I was the greatest drug dealer in all of the Western hemisphere. And then I found God and I gave it all up, all the money and everything. And look, I have nothing, but I have Jesus. Powerful testimony. What about people who the worst thing they struggled with was M&Ms and Coca-Cola? So is it a lesser testimony, right? So you're like, I don't, I don't, I just have always had it in my life great, right, but can you point to a time when it wasn't your mom and dad's Jesus where he became your Jesus? Where you know him personally, you don't know about him. It's not Pastor John's Jesus that he's preaching about. It's your Jesus that you know personally. Have you come and had that experience where the pearl of great price, you discovered it. And you said, yes, this is what fills, this is it. Every one of us should have that experience in our life where we can point, there was a time when I discovered the pearl of great price and I gave everything for that right there. Um, Zacchaeus. So if you were raised in church, when I say that name, that probably little song goes, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Yeah, um, I actually hate that phrase, the wee little man thing. So... Uh, <clears throat> <laughs> I hear you clapping over there. Uh, Luke 19 is so, this is a description of what we have in this story is an actual, we're, we're standing back observing Jesus intersect with a man's life and then he discovers the kingdom of God and there's a reaction. And I just want you to see a picture. It's not the only picture, but a picture of what it looks like. Jesus entered Jericho, <clears throat> made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region. So he wasn't a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. And he was despised, A, because he was collecting taxes for Rome. And B, he was not collecting just what they told him to collect. He could collect as much as he wanted. And as long as he gave Rome what they wanted, he could keep the rest. So he's a despised person. So there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region. He had become very rich. How? By taking the extra. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd, blah, blah. So, uh, <laughs> he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, called him by name. This is amazing. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your house today. <laughs> Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, so this is at lunch, all of his guests, all of his friends, Jesus, the disciples, they're all there. Zacchaeus stands up in front of everybody. Just look at the kingdom of God. Look at a man who discovered the pearl of great price and what it did to him. I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, if... He's cheated everyone on their taxes. He doesn't say, I'll stop doing it. Look at this. I will give them back four times as much as I took. Four times as much as I took. 
Jesus responded, salvation or the pearl of great price has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Can you see what the pearl of great price does when it hits a person's life? Look at me. It changes everything. So I want to make a really bold and a little bit of a harsh statement. So prepare. If this experience hasn't happened to you, no, not that exact thing, but the idea that when you found Jesus, it changed the way you were living. It changed the way you were thinking. It changed how you saw people, how you saw life, how you were doing things. If you can't say that when I met Jesus, it changed everything, I'm not sure that you actually met Jesus. Pastor, that's harsh. No, it's a pastor who's not willing to say that you found religion and that's okay. So we today talk often about a missing generation of millennials from church. Now, when I say church, capital C church, not small C Jubilee. I think if you look around, you'll see millennials in our midst. But I think capital C church, church at large, millennials uh, by a large number are missing from church. And so we ask the question, what happened to them? And I would say, look, look, it's it's an easy answer. It's not a complete answer. And yet it, it really is the complete answer. It's that if you don't experience the real Jesus, nothing's gonna hold you in a building. Nothing's going to keep you singing a few songs and listening to someone else talk about the Jesus they know. Only thing that makes this good for you is if I'm talking about the Jesus that you know. If you've had that experience, the truth of the matter is, it's that thing that will hold you for the rest of your life. No matter where you go, no matter where you worship, no matter what country you live in, whether it's easy to do or hard to do, the thing that will keep you in place is not what I'm teaching you right now. It's whether or not you've actually experienced the real pearl of great price. So it doesn't have to be this thing where you stood up and said, I'll give it all back. But can you say that there was a time and a place where it changed the way that I saw how I do life, how I treat people, how I see God, what I do with who I am and where I'm going? Do you get it? Look at me real quick. Do you get it? This is is the difference between like... uh, so just back to that Catholic analogy real quick. And I'm not bashing the Catholic church, by the way. So heaven will be filled with Catholics. I think, I think it'll surprise us who's there. I really do. Like if you're like, look, I'm the one who has the guest list. I know you might. I just, you know, leave that up to God. Just make sure your name is on it. That would be my advice to you. But I just think we might be surprised by all the people that are there. So this isn't Catholic bashing, but just just this idea. This was my experience that I went to catechism. I could have told you based on education, who the father, who the son, who the Holy Spirit was. I knew the prayers. I knew the apostles creed. I knew it. In order to be confirmed, there were things I had to memorize. And I was an altar boy without an ugly experience fair? I didn't have those experiences that you, we had a priest that was a good guy. But now listen to the statement. I knew about Jesus without actually knowing Jesus. I knew the language. I knew the definitions and what it does. Listen to the danger. It can anesthetize your conscience to where you think you're okay. But the only proof that you really get it is if you get it. The pearl of great price. So not enough to know about those things. Uh, When Paul, at one point, is is so successful in his ministry, the Bible says, I I believe it's Acts 16 or 19, it says that a group of uh, Jewish itinerant exorcists, itinerant exorcists, like we go around casting out the devil. And this is how they do it. 
by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. They don't know him, but they recognize the power that Paul has. So by the Jesus whom Paul preaches, we command you to come out. And they came across one who was a little bit stronger. And this is what the demon said to them. Jesus I know, and Paul I know. Who are you? Uh-oh. Like, you, you know, like when the hair on the back of your neck stands up, she like, hey, the next thing that happens is probably not going to be good. And then it says that the man being empowered by the demonic leapt on these brothers, beat them bloody, stripped them naked and sent them down the street. <laughs> by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. I like that Jesus that Pastor John talks about. There's something enticing about it. There's something that's, it, it, it brings me comfort or it brings me like a, you know, I, I think Jesus must be pretty awesome. <laughs> Taste and see that the Lord is good. The invitation is not for you to know about the Jesus that I talk about or for you to clap for me. Go pastor. The invitation is to taste for yourself. Taste and see the Psalm says that the Lord is good. Get it for yourself because if you'll actually take it, if you'll actually discover it, if you'll actually touch it for yourself, nothing will ever come close. Nothing will ever come close. It will hold you for eternity. What's so great about the kingdom of heaven that people will trade every... How about people that have laid down their lives for the kingdom of heaven? We live in a time that's a bit of an anomaly where it's been easy to serve Jesus in our day. And when people talk about in our country, you know, it's getting tougher to serve the Lord, we really have no idea. It's not tough. For, we, we take some insults from time to time in the media but not one of us had to sneak here today worried that we were being followed and if we got caught, it was gonna cost us our lives. We really don't know what that is. So my question to you real quick is, what's so great about the kingdom of God that people would trade their physical lives for it? Because that's the real deal, man. When you'll lay down this, this body, when you'll put it on the line, not gambling that I hope it's going to work out, but you throw the dice and you know, no matter what happens, I'm okay. That's the real deal. Do you hear me right now? What's so great about the kingdom of God that Jesus would say it's worth giving up everything to get it in your life? Uh, here's the second fill in the blank. Let's talk about seeking and finding real quick. Seeking and finding. <laughs> Any you two fans here? What are you doing listening to that kind of... No, never mind. Uh, <laughs> Bono, famous words. I still haven't found... Say it with me. I still haven't found... Do you know the name Keith Green? Uh, it dates us a little bit. Keith Green, um, I would call him a prophet singer, a psalmist. His short ministry, um, sort of in the late 70s, here comes this guy singing. Um, <laughs> Keith Green's not the kind of singer you want to listen to when you're trying to relax. It's not easy listening. It's like a prophetic edge to his music. The music helps it go down, but it's like being hit in the head while you're trying to drink. It's a... <clears throat> So Bono says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Keith Green sang these lyrics that cut me. <laughs> I can still. He said, all my hopes would come tumbling down and I never knew just why. Until today, when you pulled away the clouds that hung like curtains on my eyes, I'd been blind all these wasted years and I thought I was so wise. And then you took me by surprise. Like waking up from the longest dream, how real it seemed, your love broke through. Here's one man who says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And here's another one who describes perfectly finding the pearl of great price. And it's probably the greatest indication that in the world it's exactly like that. There are those who are still, I, I just don't get it. Yeah. yeah. And then there are those even sitting in this room today who know my very life yes. 
my very life, I will trade gladly for this pearl of great price. What is that? Seeking and finding. Um, just, I, I thought maybe I'd tell a little bit of my testimony. 72 hours that changed everything for me. When I was 15, how many 15-year-olds in the room today? Let me just see real quick. One. Let, yeah, I'm going to say it again because most 15-year-olds are daydreaming. Right? So, like, any 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 14-year-olds? Let me just, okay, there's a few of you. Okay, it's a great age to hear this message. Because at 15, everything got rocked for me. And I was just a normal 15-year-old, probably abnormal 15-year-old. I was not, I wasn't thinking about God. I wasn't, I was doing what 15-year-olds do. Interested? Well, I won't even go. So, <laughs> and one night, in a, in a moment of um, lucid thought or accidental Seeking and not knowing what I'm looking for. Ever been there? Seeking, longing. You don't have to be 25, 55, 95 to be seeking for something. God puts in our heart a shape that only he can fill. That only he can fill. And so we have people who when they don't know that he's the thing that they'll try to fill it with everything else, money, people, status, experience, adrenaline. So I'm not saying that any of those things in and of themselves are immoral or wrong, but when we try to put them in the place that only God can fill. So can I just say this? You'll have to con... Do you know they become like junkies trying to fill their life with whatever that I, I've just it's got to give me meaning and it's, it's the law of diminishing returns. It means something to you the first time, but the second time you've got to have more and the third time more and then pretty soon you're chasing. Yeah. Does anybody know what I'm talking about right now? Yes. And so at, at 15 and just uh, I, I don't believe that this is the way that you you should study the Bible. But at 15, I literally I, I grabbed the Bible and late in the night, I said to the Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? And I had enough knowledge to know that going to God was the answer for that. I believed that he was the creator, even though I didn't know him as creator. So I turned to the gospel of Luke. I was kind of playing Bible roulette a little bit. And in Luke chapter four, I read these words. Uh, it's in verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of God's favor has come to the earth. I read those words, and this is what makes the Bible different than every other book, every other philosophy, every other thought. The Bible is active, and it's alive. It's not ink and paper. It's not silly philosophy from thousands of years ago. It's God's thought written down so that we can read what he thinks about us and how he feels about us and what he says about us. And there are times when you read it that his hand comes off of the page, grabs your face, pulls you down, and says, look at this. So I read those words that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the good news. And I hear his voice, not out loud, in my head, in my heart, for the very first time. This is who you are. I was blown away, man. It's, I'm 56 now. 40 years have gone by. And I'm still touched by that 15-year-old kid who didn't know what he was looking for, but dared to ask God. Just bold enough to believe that maybe. <laughs> so I went and I woke up my mom. I said, mom, <laughs> God spoke to me. Let me tell you about my mom. My mom goes, tell me what he said. And so I tell her and my mom's like, oh, I believe it. I always knew you were special. <laughs> Everybody needs a mom like that. But you know, sometimes your mom can't tell you. Do you know what I mean by that? You, sometimes your mom just can't be the one. And so I, my uncle, <laughs> in a small town in Louisiana, uh, my uncle 
takes me to uh, talk to a pastor. <laughs> and uh, the town is Slidell, Louisiana. <laughs> and my uncle takes me to meet the pastor. So I sit down with the pastor uh, looking for direction because it, it just couldn't come from my mom. I needed, I needed a spiritual authority. I needed a pastor. And so I said to the pastor, listen, uh, the other night, I was asking God what I should do with my life and I read this and so I read it to the pastor and I said, I believe that God spoke to me. All I need, I didn't need him to give me a job. I didn't need him to, to say, hey, let me, let me disciple you. Let me, let me help. I didn't, that's not what I wanted. All I needed for him was just confirm something from me. Just, just say. And this is what the guy said. Son, God doesn't speak that way. Boom. Cut my heart out on the spot. So I was ashamed that I suddenly, I just felt shame like, oh man, what an idiot you are to believe that God would speak to you. What an idiot you are. And I couldn't wait to get out of that office. I couldn't wait to get away. And my uncle tried to say some words of comfort to me, but I couldn't hear, I couldn't hear a thing. All I felt was shame. If he'd have just said, John, that's awesome. I just want to, awesome for you for even asking God. Like a rocket ship, it would have launched me at 15. But instead, I took a U-turn and just, I went with the world. And I did what the world wanted me to do. But God, those words of Keith Green, <laughs> like a foolish dreamer trying to build a highway to the sky, all my hopes would come tumbling down. No matter what I did, somewhere God would always come back and remind me, hey, you're mine. You're mine. And I would, that can't be God. Just run, Dan, I just run from it. So a few years go by and, you know, school and into college and I meet a beautiful girl and we start to, to get serious with each other and um, she stops it and says, you and I cannot go any further in this relationship. And I said, why not? She said, because I have a call on my life and I've got to be with someone who has a call. And I said, I have a call on my life. And my wife, <laughs> one of the reasons I love my wife <laughs> she fights for me. She believes in me. When nobody else does, she does. And always has. <laughs> and together, we pursued those things. Now, so I have that experience. I, you know, the next day I wake up and I have a church. No. <laughs> now begins the thousand mile journey by taking the first step, right? And so um, in the meantime, I'm working. We get married. Amy comes along. Brent comes along. And I, I have this call, but I don't even know how to get to this call. And I'm volunteering with Pastor Terry. Pastor Terry was the youth pastor at our church. And I'm volunteering with him. I, you know, I'm Terry, I have this call on my life. Help me. So Terry's like, work with junior hires. If you want to know if you really have a call, <laughs> this, will, this will decide if you really are called or not, John. <laughs> Amen. And I'm still standing after all this time. <laughs> so I'm trying to do that, but I've got to support a wife and children. And, and so right when car leasing becomes a big thing, I get involved with this organization that, um, that was really, it, it was the organization in Denver to be in, uh, involved with. And it went really well for me. And I was making good money for the age that I was. And um, it's just like I had favor 
And I would be offered these promotions and I would say yes to it. And right when it was supposed to happen, something would sabotage it and knock it backwards. Like a foolish dreamer trying to build a highway to the sky. All my hopes would come tumbling down and I never knew just why. So maybe the reason that it's not working out for you like you want it to is that God has something better for you. Because if he say it again, maybe the reason it's not working out for you like you want it to is because God has something better for you. Because if he'd have given me what I wanted at that time, I don't know that I'm standing here with you right now. I don't know that money would have been the thing that would, I would have loved Jesus, but the pearl of great price would have been success. Anybody hear what I'm saying? So, so, so the message, just carefully, this, this message cannot be about a vocational call. That was my thing. The pearl of great price is not you doing this full time with your life. The pearl of great price is that no matter what you do, Jesus is the center of everything. Did you get, you get, okay. So I'm just telling my story. So, um, so I had been offered uh, like four times in a row. You're going to be given this branch. You're, here's what's going to happen. On the last one, they, they even came, gave me the title. It's all going to happen. And overnight, the thing just, it fell apart. And my managers came, we don't know how, why is this happening? And each one of them had an, there was some logical reason and yet there was absolutely no reason. And on the fourth one, with my heart broken again, in just like a moment of disappointment, I said, I quit. They're like, no, don't do that. We, we promise you're going to get one. Just hang in there. And I said, no, I'm done. And I went home and gave Chris the good news. <laughs> Amy is, I think she was one and a half or two. Brent's an infant. And uh, hey, I quit my job. I had never fasted. I had never, um, <clears throat> I had never like just gone after it with everything that I have. And for 72 hours, I shut myself in an office only to come out for a few breaks here and there. And I just took the word and I devoured it in copious amounts, man. I just, I eat it and I eat it and I ate it. And I just, God, you just, you can have everything. God, you can have everything. You can have everything, not most everything. You can have everything. And in that 72 hours was this <laughs> like waking up from the longest dream. Then this, not overnight, but the direction of my, you can have everything, the good and the bad, the ups and the down, everything. Seeking and finding. I can tell you that when you seek, you will find. But the trick is to seek with all of your heart. All of your heart. Here's the last thing because I'm out of time. A fully devoted follower. Fully devoted follower. Um, in John chapter 6, verse 66, uh, let me just set this up real quickly. Jesus at this point, he's at the apex of his ministry. Uh, tens of thousands of people at times would gather to listen to him teach and he would heal people and just the miraculous. He was so popular. So some of the gospels tell us that when, uh, when, when he got out of the boat, uh, going to Jairus' house to heal Jairus' daughter, there were so many people around him that he couldn't even lift up his arms. Can you imagine you imagine being, and he's being pushed and jostled and people are trying to draw. So while he's going to Jairus' house, that's when the woman reaches and touches the hem of his garment and she's healed from a, a blood disease that she's had for 12 years. And Jesus perceives the, the, the power leaving his body and he can't even get his arms up. So he's looking around, who touched me? And Peter says, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody, you know, what? no, no. And he finds the woman, he spots her. No words are exchanged. Uh, he looks at her, she looks at him, and then, hey, go, your faith has made you well. And then they say, Jairus' daughter has died. Don't bother the teacher anymore. 
And Jesus is like, keep your faith, goes to her house, raises the dead. So you, you have to understand how incredibly powerful it was to be around him. It wasn't just that he was a good teacher, but the power. And so it, it, it's, people are experiencing this and right at the height of his popularity, Jesus turns to everybody and blurts this out. Unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have no part with me. Yeah, what? Wait. <laughs> what? Do what? And here's, here's what he's just saying. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Are you really in or are you just around? Do you like the flash and the stuff or do you love me? Decide. So the Bible always calls us to decision. It's not always polite. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And then it says this, look at this. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So was it a PR gaffe? You think they wanted him to issue an apology real quick? Take that back. Tell them you misspoke. There's the famous one. Tell them you misspoke. But Jesus wasn't accidental about anything that he did. In fact, he said, I don't do anything or say anything unless I've seen or heard the Father do it. So this is directly from God. So from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And then Jesus asked this question to the disciples. You do not want to leave too, do you? Can you hear in that, the human part? Are you guys gonna leave me too? Is it all gonna come down to, it's just me? <laughs> Jesus asked the 12 and then, the one who always answer, Peter. <laughs> Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. Hmm. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Fans or followers. So the, the pearl of great price at some point, a decision is required of you. Are you a fan or are you really a follower? So like fans, uh, look at the Broncos. Fans love to hang around when everything's going good. Fans love winners. Fans love it when everything's going the right way. Fans can get around and clamor. Fans look like followers. The thing that decides is when you're not winning anymore. When it becomes costly, when it hurts to say that's who I follow. And you're still, when you're willing to trade your comfort, when you're willing to trade your life. So look at me real quick. It always comes down to that decision, by the way. Are you a fan or are you a follower? And I don't know. So you can't tell the difference. They dress the same. They go to the same places. They'll look you in the eye and they'll cheer super loud. But when there's a cost, they'll walk away. I have no idea. And it suddenly becomes just uncomfortable, does it? It's like, oh, man, I love you, and then I don't. I don't know. Fans or followers. Maybe the way to say it is in versus all in. So it's like it has been super easy, believe it or not, to serve Jesus in our day. But if it got difficult in the next few years, are you still in? And like, you know, here's what I think. I think if you have to be boisterous about that, like, yes, I'm in, you probably don't know. Because it's probably not emotion that says you're in, it's probably determination that says you're in. It's a quiet thing inside of you that just says, I'm all in. 
So pastor, even if you're not in, I'm in. If Jubilee's not in, I'm in. Do you hear what I'm saying? So I, like, uh, I realized, I knew when I would put the message together and wrote it, I knew it would come to this place and just be this uncomfortable thing. And so, and here's me, here's my personality. I want everybody to be okay. So this thing inside of me is like, soften this. Just like, make it like a hot tub. <laughs> you know, don't, don't let the heat get more than 104. Just keep it like at that. And then this little thing, it's 110 now. <laughs> I just don't think it has anything to do with like uh, bravado or, um, you know, rah-rah hype. So hype will get you to that door. And then you fall flat on your face because hype just, it, hype can't get you any place. But the pearl of great price will carry you through every situation. So I, in my mind, it just comes down to these two things. Like, like real quick, I've got to do this. The first one is, do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Not know about him. Do you, do you, would you say, I love the Jesus that you preach about? Or would you say, I love Jesus? Do you know him? Don't be insulted by that. Don't, don't, don't hold your pedigree up. I have been in church my whole life. I take communion. I give money. I... Don't let your pedigree. Let's, let's go equality for a minute. Take everything out of the way. Do you know Jesus? It's just, do you know him? Do you know him? And you know what? In your heart, you know. You know. You know. Do you know him? And then like, if you say, I do know him, then I just wanna boldly ask you this question. It's like that letter to those churches in Revelation, do you know him, but you've fallen? Jesus actually uses these words. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and go back to your first love. Do those things you did at first. And who's he writing to? People that love him. People that love him. So I just, like, I'm asking the question, do you know him? And if you don't, do you want to? And if you do know him, how are you doing with that? Have you drifted? Have you fallen? If you look back, to when that pearl of great price was everything, do you still find yourself in that same place or is there distance now? Is there a gap now? So Father, Lord, I get out of the way completely. I just get out of the way because I can't get anybody any further than this. Holy Spirit, would you please help us right now and do what only you can do? Would you reveal hearts? Would you reveal intentions? Would you reveal truth to us right now? God, would you bring life, bring life? So church, do you know him? And if the answer is no, pastor, I don't know him, but I want to know him. I don't wanna know about him. I don't wanna know him from a distance. I don't wanna know him because you teach theology. I wanna know him. I wanna taste and see for myself that he is good. Then the great invitation today is to meet Jesus. And if that's you and you say, Pastor John, I wanna know him. I don't know him and I want to know him and I want you to pray for me today. If that's you, just slip your hand up right now. Just say, Pastor, pray for me today. Yep, I see you, see you. Yep, 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 yep. You can put them back down, I see you, see you. Yes, okay. It's as simple as asking, ask, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be open to you. Jesus said, I stand at the door of your heart and knock and if you'll open the door, I will come in. And the two of us, 
the two of us will have relationship. Ask. It's just that simple. Father, come into my life. God, I need you. God, I recognize that I want to know you. God, I open myself up to you right now. Jesus, help me. God, be merciful to me. There's no right or wrong way to say it. Just ask. God, come into my life. Come into my heart. God, help me. The second one, I just can't let you leave without doing it. If you've made that decision, you discovered the pearl of great price. And yep, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But if you measure where you are right now, have you lost your first love? Is there a distance between where you were and where you are? And it's not good distance. It's not growth. (laughs) How about that? It's not growth. It's a reversal, a a falling, just like Jesus said, the height that you've fallen from. And right now the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Uh, You know, you don't, you, you don't, go out of here and like, okay, I'm going to get my first love back. It doesn't work that way. God's got to touch your heart right now. He's got to breathe on you again. He's got to draw you. It's through invitation, always through invitation. He's the pursuer. We're the responder. So if he's pursuing and you feel that pursuit right now, you say, pastor, you're putting your finger on it. That's me. You're talking to me. Pastor, I need God's help today. Pray for me. I've fallen. I'm I'm not where I should be. Other things now compete for my affection, for my attention, for my heart. They compete for my heart. I need God to help me. If that's you, slip your hand up. Say, Pastor John, pray for me today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know it's a bold one. It's a tough one. I see you. I see you. I won't embarrass you. You can put them back down. As many of us, I get it. Hey, look at me real quick. So you know, the pastor has his hand up. I'm not standing up here saying, look at me and get up here where I'm at. I'm I'm saying in my own heart this week, that question is, God, where so many things fight for my affection. Anybody else live in that world? God. So God, with humility and with sincerity, just help us. Be merciful to us. Father, forgive us and be gentle with us. Restore us right now. Restore us. Bring us back to our first love. Rekindle that thing inside of our heart, not some hype, not some emotional thing, but God, that thing, it separates everything else. It reminds us of what's truly worthy of our affection and our time, our energy, (laughs) our dreams. Remind us, God. Lord, restore, restore, revive. Breathe on us again, oh God. Breathe on us again, Father God. Lord, the things that are cold and that have become indifferent, Father God, take them out of the way. Lord, the things that get in the way that the enemy so carefully weaves a web of deceit and suddenly we just were stuck. God, take your hand and just knock it out of the way. Take everything out of the way. Draw us to you. God, pull our hearts to you. Remind us who we are right now. Do you know that the Bible says when we're unfaithful to him, he remains faithful to us. Thank the Lord for his faithfulness today, church. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And even when we find ourselves in places that we didn't intend, God's mercy is greater It's greater than the place we find ourselves at.
God, thank you today for your goodness and your kindness. Thank you for restoring us. Thank you for loving us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Church, thank you for listening to me today.